0: This podcast was recorded at Grace Point Church of Orville. For more information, visit us online at orogracepoint.com. Briefly, a note of clarification from last week. We discussed three different ways of looking at the Book of Revelation, three different modes of reading. And the last one, the third one that I described, I want to be clear I didn't come up with that reading. That's a well-established mode of reading. It's just the one that I find most compelling. I think it's the most faithful to the actual text of the book of Revelation, so that's why we're focusing on it. The three authors that I noted last week, Warren Carter, Craig Coster, and Eugene Peterson, are all three examples out of that third possibility. Anyway, let's jump into... Tonight's lesson, we have a lot of ground to cover, so beginning in verse number 9 of chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, and this is the Son of Man vision. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This scene in Revelation opens with the audience hearing John introduce himself as their brother. I, John, your brother. John goes on to describe how he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when he hears a loud voice like a trumpet. Now there are two things here to briefly note before we get to the vision itself. First of all, John says he's in the Spirit. This is him being caught up in God's Spirit. He's going to receive something from God that comes through the Spirit. It's not a vision that he works out with pencil and paper, but this is a spiritual experience for John. Secondly, notice right from the get-go, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Revelation, John's repeated use of the words as and like are a signal that the elements in the vision that John sees and the visions he will see, they don't really fit within the boundaries of normal speech. So John's using analogies, similes, metaphors from ordinary human experience. He said, I heard a voice like a trumpet. It wasn't a trumpet, but this is as close as he can get. He's drawing on things from human experience to paint us a picture of what's happening in the cosmic realm. So he's going to use this type of description a lot. One like a son of man. One like this. I saw something as this, which is, again, a caution not to flatten these things out into literal language. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of metaphors here. Warren Carter, the scholar that I quoted last week, he likens John's visions to something akin to a modern-day music video where you just have image piled upon image, creating a collage-type experience where it's just one image heaped on another and they may not always seem like they have nice, clean lines between them, but that's the way that the experience is constructed. So John, this is a beautiful phrase, turns to see the voice. And he sees one like a son of man. And this son of man has words of commendation and critique for his seven churches. This is what sets the tone for the entire letter. Everything that follows, follows from this. John sees one like a son of man, who is going to speak, who's going to give instruction, who's going to talk about his churches. Even though he's going to speak, what this vision does is it reveals to us right from the get-go that Revelation doesn't just convey information. The vision confronts John and now his audience with the presence of a living being, the Alpha and the Omega. It's this confrontation with the living Christ that causes John to just fall down like he's dead. John doesn't fall down like he's dead because he got some amazing bit of information. He falls down like he's dead because he's confronted by the presence of the living Christ. The living one, however, reaches down, puts his right hand on John, and says, fear not. The point of the vision is not to scare John. Yes, this son of man is a scary-looking character, but the goal of the vision is not fear. Something else is going to happen. And that's what I want to explore for a little while tonight. If the point of the vision is not to scare John, and that's clear that it's not the point, because Jesus says, fear not, then what's the point? What is this about? Now, as I mentioned last week, the book of Revelation is full of references to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Most of the images, the symbols are all drawn right out of Scripture. The thing is this, Revelation doesn't stop to explain any of that. It assumes you already know your Bible. The book of Revelation assumes you've been faithfully reading Isaiah and Zechariah and Daniel and you've been immersing yourself in the language and the imagery and the symbols. So it can just allude to these things, echo these things and carry right on and you're supposed to get it. Clearly, it doesn't work that simply. That's why we're doing the lesson, because we're going to have to slow down and say, okay, well, where do these images come from? What are they pointing us towards? So, for example, the very first designation, one like a son of man, this comes from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel describes a vision that he has. In beginning verse number 13, Is evoking this imagery, that this vision that he sees. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's not a pale Galilean with flip-flops and kind of a goofy grin wandering around. This is a towering figure, really awe-inspiring. If you want to think about the word awesome, we kind of we well, not kind of, we really have ruined the word because we apply it to things like pizza. Well, that was an awesome pizza. Well, then you have a vision like this, and what word are you going to use? You've already wasted awesome on pizza. This vision is what you need to save a word like awesome for. Not a small character. This is one where you're like, whoa, wow. Well, John falls down like he's dead. That's how awesome it really is. John sees this character that reminds him of Daniel's vision. This one to whom dominion and authority and power is given. And he begins to describe this person. And the first thing that he begins to describe is the location of the Son of Man. John says this one like a Son of Man is located in the midst of the lampstands. And as we read, the lampstands are identified as churches. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about these churches, but just let me give you a preview of these churches. They have a lot of issues. They are not perfect, not even close. This is a good reminder because sometimes there's a tendency to romanticize the churches in the New Testament as if they had it together and now we've messed it all up. The churches that we're going to read about in the book of Revelation have some serious issues challenges. Often they're poor, frequently faithless, they've got issues, squabbles, pettiness. Nevertheless, it's very striking that when John sees this amazing figure, one like a son of man, where is he? He's in the midst of these churches. He's not off in outer space somewhere, he's not up in heaven somewhere, he is right in the midst of the churches. The son of man is is not embarrassed to be among the churches. If we're not careful, we might think, well, if you really want to connect with Jesus, go up in the mountains somewhere and hang out in the trees. That's where Jesus is. No, the the vision here is that Jesus is in the midst of the churches. Now, this is a bit of a confrontation. This is a declaration that, was probably a bit rough in John's day, but it's also one that rubs people the wrong way today as well. Eugene Peterson has a fantastic summary of the conflict that we see right here at the beginning of this vision. This is how he phrases it. So it is no use looking for him in pure surroundings, although he is not anywhere absent, for it is his will to identify himself in Revelation in the community of faith. It is understandable that there are many who resent having to deal with the church when they are only interested in Christ. The church is so full of ambiguity, so marred with cruelty and cowardice, so tarnished with hypocrites and sophistries that they are disgusted with it. The whole business of religion is so susceptible to superstition and fraud that it is no wonder that many refuse to be associated with it and seek Christ in other ways or in other places. But there is no biblical evidence that such seeking will prosper. Christ is received in the everyday environs of the church in the company of persons who gather to worship and witness. This is a powerful revelation. If you're wondering where Jesus is today, wonder no more. He's among His people. He's at work. In the flawed often dirty business of everyday church life. So, yes, sometimes the church can give us a good excuse to say, you know, I just need some space to get away from all of this. The the trouble with that is when you decide, well, I'm going to get away from all that church stuff, you're getting away from the primary place that Jesus is at work. He's at work in his church. Now, significantly, and this is important to note, he's in amongst the candlesticks. So he's not one and the same as the church. That's important to grasp, because the church will do things wrong. It doesn't mean that Jesus did something wrong. He's at work among the flawed people. He's going to be at work in the Laodicean church, but he's not lukewarm. They're lukewarm. So even though he's at work among them, He is still distinct from them. So you understand the difference there. Where is this amazing figure that John sees? He hears a voice that sounds like a trumpet. He turns to see that voice. Lo and behold, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he's at work in the church. The opening vision of Revelation grounds the entire letter very much in this world. The figure that John describes as being one like a son of man, is not in outer space. He's not coming to us via some kind of webcast from an undisclosed location. No, he is perfectly content to be in and amongst his people, however flawed and human they remain. So if that's where he's at, what does he look like? In the ancient world, clothing helped define a person's role. John sees that This figure is wearing a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And the imagery here is drawn right out of Exodus 29.5. This is an echo of the priestly garments that Aaron wore. So we find the, the Son of Man. He's in the churches. And now we learn, based on his clothing, that he's a priest. Now what do priests do? A priest in Scripture is a bridge. The priest presents God to the people and presents the people to God. It's the pathway that brings together the divine and the human. So this character that John sees is one who's mediating. He's bringing two realms together. As a priest, and we know he's a priest by the way that he dresses, he's bridging some gap. He's in the churches, uniting heaven and earth together in his person, in the work that he is doing. This is a good reminder about what church is supposed to be. It's not just a place you hang out. It's sacred space. It's where the two worlds come together. Christ at work in the church makes this into a place of reconciliation, It's not an accident that Paul describes our ministry as the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, as I said last week, John isn't going to introduce so much new information as he is going to present to us established themes, motifs, principles with different images, different perspectives. So Paul will say, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. John says... I saw one like the Son of Man. He's dressed like a priest right in the middle of the church. Then John goes on to say, the hairs of his head were white like white, wool like snow. More imagery. What is this signaling? Signaling that this character that John sees, he's pure. There's no deceit. There's no hidden subtext. What you see is what you get. He's not running a scam on you. He's not trying to sneak up on you. He's front and center. Here I am. This is what I stand for. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The psalmist writes in Psalm 51 and 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This is not a shady character that John sees. This is someone who you can trust in a world full of subtexts where everybody's got some kind of scam going on. John says, no, this guy is the real deal. Not only that, but the white hair also signals wisdom. The Ancient of Days in Daniel's vision, if you'll recall, he had white hair. This guy is trustworthy. He's got some wisdom. You can trust him. Then John moves to the eyes. Says his eyes were like a flame of fire. Fire in the Bible is about purification. There's a whole host of biblical imagery that's activated here. You have the pillar of fire that they're following, the burning bush, fiery furnaces, fiery chariots. Fire penetrates. Fire transforms, like how Eugene Peterson frames it here. He says, this figure doesn't look at us, he looks into us. And this is important because this figure is going to start critiquing the church in a little bit. He's going to start talking to his churches, saying, this is good, here's where you need to improve. How can he do this? Because with these eyes of fire, he sees right through the facades. This is why the one who is like a son of man can say to each church, I know, you can fool me. Some people think it's, they've really accomplished something when they fool the pastor. That's not a big accomplishment. You don't get a certificate or an award for that. That's pretty basic. John's vision, however, ought to remind us you can't fool this guy. Jesus stands among the lampstands and his eyes they see right into the heart of the church. When he says to the church, I know you can mark it down, he's got it spot on. He's not distracted by clever words. You can't flatter him. You can't come up to him and say, "You know, you're the best mom ever and I'm just so glad you're my mom and Okay, cut all that out. What are you you trying to get by with here? Doesn't work with this one. Onto his feet, John says, they're like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Now the image in Daniel's visions, there's another image there, that one had feet of iron and clay, which is not real stable. Because in Daniel's vision, they had this rock came flying out and hit the feet and it shattered and the whole thing fell down. John, when he sees one like the Son of Man, that he didn't have metal feet, John says they're like burnished bronze. They're stable. Whatever he steps on, it's going to get crushed. He's not worried about stickers. He's not worried about getting a flat tire. When you have feet like this, you can walk over anything. And not only that, but this image of them being burnished, this is bronze that's gone through a furnace. It's been tested in a fire. This is a sure thing. The Son of Man is not a rookie. This is not one of these ships on its maiden voyage. This guy's been around. He's been through some things. And this is a good reminder for us because sometimes, People act like, well, you know, the teachings of Jesus, that's kind of naive. You know, that stuff doesn't really work in the real world. Nice guys finish last. You can't go around forgiving people and being nice and expect to survive. This image says, stop with all that nonsense. This guy has been through the fire. He's gone down into the abyss and he's come back up victorious. So whatever he says... You can trust it, because it's not some newfangled idea. He's he's put it to the test. There are things in life that are new for us. There were things that John's audience were experiencing that maybe they didn't have any precedent for. They didn't have any prior experience to draw on. John says, don't worry about it, this one who is going to talk to you, who's going to give you some direction, who's going to give you some encouragement. He's been around a long time. Rome might be a new reality for you. It might be something unexpected for you to have to deal with this particular government and this economic situation. Not for this guy. He's seen empires come and go. He's seen governments rise and fall. You can trust him. He hasn't been, you know, just watching a bunch of YouTube videos and now he's going to tell you what to do. This is the guy that they film so that you'll know what to do. You you understand the difference. There are lots of people who think they're experts because they watched a YouTube video or they read something on Wikipedia. That doesn't make you an expert. When it comes to the Son of Man, this isn't the first round. What is that saying? This isn't his first rodeo or something like that. Whatever. Okay, moving on. John's description, the physical description here, is interrupted by a declaration now about his voice. So John's been telling you where he's at. He's been describing what he's wearing, what he's looking like. Suddenly, John interrupts all that and he says... His voice was like the roar of many waters. Now we don't get the content yet. We're not sure what he's saying yet. But John is giving us the form. It's not a whisper. It's not an apology. It's a firm declaration. And John's audience, when they heard this phrase, like the roar of many waters, their minds would have immediately gone to the fact that this is what happens when God shows up. This sound of the roaring water often signals in Scripture a theophany, which is just an appearance of God. Think about when God came down on Mount Sinai. There was smoke and fire. King James, I think, has one of the best translations of this. It said, Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, shaken. There's fire and all of this. In, In the book of Ezekiel, opening chapter, Ezekiel has a vision The chariot that comes with the presence of God on it and wheels and all kinds of stuff flashing and zipping around. And in verse 24, Ezekiel says, wherever this chariot would go, there was this sound like many waters, like the sound of the Almighty. So in the midst of this description, John inserts, oh, and you should have heard the sound. I wasn't just seeing something. This vision that I was experiencing, it was, it was a full sensory experience. I'm describing this, but you have to understand there was a sound that went with it. This roar. And I wish I could roar, but if I did, it would just be so anticlimactic, it, it wouldn't work. So just imagine in your head, this is where I need a YouTube clip of a lion or something, just like, I almost tried, you know, like, whatever. Now, this roar, and this is going to again come up again and again in the book of Revelation, is another one of those places where there's an interesting overlap between the imagery, the visual, the sound, the experience that John is having relative to Jesus, and words, images that are typically associated with God. So, this Son of Man figure, he's not just another great warrior. But John's using a lot of language that's connected to descriptions of God. Now, right after John describes this sound, moves to the third piece of this description. So we've got location. We've got appearance. Now John's going to describe what this guy's doing. And he starts off by saying, in his right hand, he held seven stars. For most folks... I have to say, most, because there still are some people that have to read the horoscope every morning and figure out what they're going to do. But most folks kind of moved on from that. But in the ancient world, the preeminent science was astrology. The elites were the people who mapped the stars. And I didn't just map the stars because they thought this was a nice exercise in astronomy, but in their minds, the heavenly bodies, these celestial bodies, somehow governed the affairs of earth. And again, you still see this in people who pay any attention to astrology, where, oh, my sign, such and such, this means I'm this kind of person. That somehow there's a connection between the heavenly bodies and the goings-on on this earthly plane. And some folks have even suggested that ancient people thought there were seven planets. It's it's hard to verify that kind of thing. could be. Seven's also the number of completion. So maybe this is a symbol he's got all of the planets. So whether they thought there were actually seven or whether seven just represented all of them, regardless, in John's vision, this Son of Man figure, he's got them all in his hand. In his right hand. The right hand is the hand of power, of strength. And what John is recognizing here is this awesome character who's in and among his churches. He's a priest. He's bridging heaven and earth. His eyes are piercing bronze feet, voice like just this roar that reminds us of the presence of God. And in his right hand, he's got the whole host of heaven. This is a powerful God. Whatever it is that you think is controlling stuff on this earthly plane, whatever it is that you think is shaping your destiny, the destiny of the church, the future of the church, all of these things, people trying to calculate, what should I do today based on this and based on that and what season is it and where is this planet and what's the sign? John says you don't even have to pay attention to that because This guy, he's got all of that in his hand. Whatever else may happen, John has seen the boss man. So he's not worried. He's not going to be distracted by seasons and omens. John doesn't need a sign of the times. He's got the Son of Man right here at hand. He doesn't need a omen in the heavens. He doesn't need prevailing opinion, John recognizes the future of the church is not in the hands of Babylon. It's not in the hands of Rome. It's in the hands of the Son of Man, who is right in the midst of his people. And this assurance is going to undergird the rest of the revelation. If you're worried about where Jesus is, let me solve it for you. He's right here in the midst of his people. If you're worried about who's controlling the future, John says, let me just solve that for you too. Whatever the powers are, they're in the hand of Jesus. And John says, not only are all these things in his hand, but out of his mouth, there's coming a two-edged sword. Now, if you Google this, people actually have pictures of an actual sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus, standing there in the candlesticks. It's not a literal sword. It's an image that reminds us Of the Word of God the sword in this passage it's the Word of God and this is an important component that works hand in hand with this recognition the powers that be are in the hand of Christ now how does he exercise that power in our world the default for John's audience is very similar to what probably most folks would say today well you get the biggest army You get the gun. You get the big stick. The guy with the biggest muscles wins. John says, hold up. You need to understand something. Yes, he has all the cosmic powers in his hand. But the way that he exercises power in our world is from the words that proceed out of his mouth. It is the words of the living Christ that bring about transformation and change, not might makes right. This is not about... We're going to beat you up. We're going to make you do anything. This is about the words of Christ being the power that's transforming, that's changing, that's undergirding. What is our confidence? It's the word of Christ. It's the words of Jesus to His church. They're not just suggestions. They're not good ideas. They're not witty sayings. They cut. They divide. They evaluate. They empower. They transform. The writer in Hebrews said it like this, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus himself and John Chapter 6, verse 63 said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If you're looking for change, you need to look to the words of this living Christ. Don't rely on your own skills. Don't rely on your own ability. Don't rely on the powers of the the world around you, if you want to know how things get done, it's through the word of this living Christ. This one who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and ending. See, isn't this so much more interesting than who's the Antichrist? Like, who cares about Donald Trump and Obama and all of that nonsense? This is the guy that I find really fascinating. This is the one that I want to pay attention to. John says, his face. He just keeps on going. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now light is revelatory. Light illuminates. It reveals hidden things. But it's also the metaphor of blessing. This is an important capstone to this vision that John has. Remember, this is a scary sight. This is an intense vision. If you saw this, you'd be on the ground too. It's wild. But the last part of it helps put this in context. This is why you shouldn't be afraid, John. In Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse number 22, the Lord speaks to Moses, and he's going to tell Moses you're going to anoint Aaron and his sons as priests. And you're going to have them bless the people of Israel. And this is what that blessing looks like. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace." So yes, this one like a son of man who is among his churches with the fire-flashing eyes and the burnished bronze feet and the voice that's like the voice of many waters and a sword that comes out of his mouth. What is the mode? One of blessing. Why is all of this taking place? So that God can take care of his people. This is why Jesus is at work among the churches because he loves his people. The signature phrase of this character is not one of cursing. It's one of blessing. His face is shining like the sun. His countenance, it's a beautiful echo to this blessing in the book of Numbers. When John sees this character, he goes through all this description, but he ends on this note of blessing. Jesus loves His church. Jesus loves His people. Jesus is taking care of His people. Jesus has not abandoned His people. This is a good proof, if you're still in doubt, from I don't know how many weeks ago, my lesson, ascended but not absent. John settles it right here. Jesus ascends. Where did He go? He didn't go away. He took His rightful place. He is with His people. He is present, through the power of His Spirit with His church. So this is what John describes. Now, let's sum this up. And on the back of your handout, you have this little box with this thing on the left. It says A, B, C, D, C, little mark, B, little mark, A, little mark. This is what we call a chiasmus or a ring structure. It's a literary device that helps focus your attention. And the way it works is the first thing echoes the last thing, and then it circles in and helps draw your attention to the middle. So if you look at this description of the Son of Man, it's a very careful structure. It begins with the white head, and it ends with the shining face. So these are, these are mirrors of each other. This is blessing, it's wisdom, it's purification. Then it moves from the head to the eyes and then if you'll notice the next to last thing is the mouth so you have sight and sound these are tools of communication this is relationship words so you you're working your way inward then you have feet and the right hand both of these speak to his capabilities his strength his power his ability to to walk over whatever his experience the right hand of his power. So where does this all focus in on? In the middle, there's only one element in this whole description that's not physical. That's his voice. The voice is the center of this whole structure. Why is that important? Because revelation is about hearing Jesus it reminds us, why did John see this vision? Why did John have this experience? So that he would know when the world's going to end. No, he had this experience so that people could hear a fresh word from Jesus. The images, the symbols, they all serve to jolt, to kick the reader out of complacency to disrupt the familiar story so they can hear again a fresh word from the risen Savior. It's as if John is saying, oh, you think you know who Jesus is? Look again. Listen again. The book of Revelation does not open with a vision about the asteroid that's going to come annihilate the earth and kill us all. It's not a vision of some Nasty creatures coming up out of a crack in the ground. It begins with a vision of Jesus who is present among His church and who has a fresh word for His people. This first vision is not about an event. It's about a person. And the center of that is His voice. This is about hearing from Jesus. The one who was dead but is now alive forevermore. So I repeat, this is not a roadmap of the end times. It's a vision of a person. We're not spending the summer talking about the end times. We're talking about the revelation of Jesus. The need for John's audience is very similar to the need for the church today. We don't need a schematic. We don't need another diagram. In this time, in this day, we need a fresh vision of the risen Christ. We don't need to hear more about the world. We need to hear more about Jesus. We don't need to hear more about what people are doing. We need to hear more about what God is doing. And John says this is the present reality. This is not in the future This is not going to be one of these days. This is right now. Jesus is alive, and he's present among his churches. So when we look at the world stage, when we think about the future, we don't need to be anxious. I, for one, have a mixed track record with maps. Sometimes I still get in the wrong place. It says turn right. You're like, turn right here? Right here, oh, well, no, that was turn right back there. Missed it. In our hiking trips, sometimes we've had some discussions about which way to go, and maps are not a guarantee. You know what's better than a map? A guide. Right? A guide is so much better. It's so much easier just to go with someone who already knows how to get there than it is to read the map. I'm not anxious today about the future. And it's not because I have mastered the timeline. I've mastered the schematic. I've figured out where all the pieces are. Far from it. There is so much about which I have no clue. What's going to happen here? And what's going to do with Israel? And what about the United States? you know, these lists of questions. Where is the United States in the book of Revelation? Who knows? Maybe it's not there, but I'm not worried about it. Because the one like a son of man is here. And he's going to get me to the other side. So you can get all your maps and charts and things. I'm just going to hang out with Jesus. I'm just going to listen for his voice. And when he says, hey, turn right, I'm not going to argue with him and say, well, you know, I think it looks like there's a faster way if we went around, I'm just, no, if you want to go right, Jesus, we'll go right. We'll just turn right here. You just lead on. I'm going to enjoy the ride. I've gotten to the point, maybe this means I'm old. I don't know, but I just don't even care to drive anymore. I am perfectly fine to just ride along. If somebody else wants to drive, that's great. This is our hope. We don't have to place our confidence in our own ability to figure all this stuff out. We can place our confidence in the one who holds the celestial bodies in his right hand, who has traversed the fire, who has gone down into the abyss of death and come out the other side victorious, the one who can see through it all. People can fool us. They can't fool this guide this one who's leading us, and He's not up to any tricks. He's not running a scam on us. He is at work in His church. And the rest of the revelation is centered on this reality. As we move forward and look at all these other scenes, the radically simple idea is this. We're just going to get the view of reality through the eyes of this Christ who is alive and present among the churches. We're going to get his perspective on worship. We're going to get his perspective on time. We're going to get his perspective on evil. We're going to get his perspective on power. That's the point of the book of Revelation. So John's opening vision, it's a powerful one. It's a beautiful one. And it's all about Jesus. He brings all of these images from the prophets, from the priests, from the whole witness of Scripture, and says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard a voice. It was loud. And I turned around, and wow, this is what I saw. So, that wraps up the vision of the Son of Man. Thank you for listening. Our podcasts are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. To hear more, visit us online at orogracepoint.com.